0: Will Pestillo was born in Columbia, South America, and immigrated to the United States when he was five years old, living in Queens, New York. After 9-11, Will joined the U.S. Army and served for 10 years, including two deployments. The vehicle he was riding in was struck by an IED, killing the driver and the gunner. Will lost a leg, developed a traumatic brain injury, and experienced post-traumatic stress. After depression and drugs, Will was introduced to the sport of Pair Bobsled. As part of Team USA, he has won three national championships, two third-place finishes at the World Cups in Germany and Lake Placid, and is the 2022-2023 overall world champion. Let's chat with you. So, Will, uh, I typically like to start by, uh, particularly when I'm talking with, my, with fellow veterans, with the, the why question. Uh, why did you uh, sign up and why did you enlist in the
1: military? Um, I was actually raised in Queens, New York. So I was there during the nine eleven. 11 I was working at a Subway was making sandwiches. And then during the attacks, you know, I was already a father of two two young girls. I was young, I believe I was twenty, twenty years old. Mm. And um, uh, when I went home, you know, especially in New York, you could just sensed the fear. And throughout the nation during the nine eleven attack. And um, I took a lot of pride of being a young strong male and and my mother said you know what you need to do and and so I did it. Mm.
0: Yeah, I most of us remember that day well and and the feelings and and thoughts and fears uh, of that day. I was in rural West Virginia at the time, not New York, so I could totally uh, understand um your uh, your your perspective as a as a New Yorker and when you when you made that decision Um, did you know what, which branch you wanted to go into right
1: away or, or were you looking at options? No, I was, I was clueless. I I honestly was. I, I went into the first branch that I saw was for the United States Army. Um, I remember the recruiter, uh, Sergeant Trung. he told me, you know, we're going to end up going to war. And I said, yeah. And, um, that was it. I think they gave me like a thousand dollars land on bonus and sent me to fort knox kentucky you know um coming from the city to fort knox kentucky that was that was wide awakening yeah and from there it was straight to fort stewart georgia and um that was just you know the modern train we call it. it's just training and deployments
0: yeah yeah and so uh so basic training was at fort
1: knox then Fort knox yeah in the middle of winter yeah yeah
0: And, and what did you, did you choose your MOS or did your, uh, recruiter kind of help facilitate that?
1: Yeah. The recruiter helped me, you know, um, I started as a, uh, 63 Mike. And then, uh, I went then to scouts after my second deployment. So I was just seeing where, where it was going to take me. I, you know, I, I I joining to, to serve. And then once I was in there, I, I rapidly figured out that this was a good place for me. Mm. It just fit with my character and the kind of person I was.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and um, and so did did you like did you like your military occupation?
1: I did. I did. I like to be around the guys. I love the camaraderie. Nobody wants to get shot at. I'm not going to stand here and tell you that I love combat. That's right. not true. But. You know, that every day, it being different, even though you're doing the same job, it's just whatever the day might bring you, that kind of stuff, um, really went well with me. And then my, I had really good leadership too. I can't lie.
0: That's good. That's that's good. That's, that's really that, important. That, that plays, plays an important role, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, what was your original enlistment? How long?
1: Ah, uh, gosh, four years, three years. Okay. And then once I was deployed, um, I re-enlisted in 05 when I was my first employment. And then from there, I was just going to make it a career. I was already uh, sergeant by then, and I was I was rapidly going up the ranks. And, uh, and then I got hit in 07.
0: Yeah. And did you, after advanced individual
1: training, did you get deployed right away, or, or did you go to a duty station first? I went to Fort Knox, excuse me, I went to Fort Stewart, Georgia, and six months later I got deployed.
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh talk about uh your deployments, because I know that you've had a you had a couple. So um yeah. talk about the talk about them in, in order if you would.
1: Yeah. So I deployed the first time O five to Iraq. Um it was oh five to oh six, excuse me, oh four to oh five, and um it was in a which is like a little compound in the middle of, of sort of the Sunni triangle. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we just escorted vehicles. We pulled security and I was very lower ranking. So I did everything they told me to do. (laughs) (laughs)
0: You're a, well, a a private and private first class at that point. Right?
1: Yeah, that's right. So I was doing a lot of stuff. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, thank God, nothing, nothing happened to me. Um, I was deployed with five seven calf. Um, you know, we did have some deaths, um, in the unit. Um, we had more deaths outside of our deployment when we came back home than we did yeah. out there. Yeah. You know, we had some, some bad stuff, man, some bad stuff happening within the unit. The guys just came and they were all over the place. Um but like I said, we I had a very good strong leadership. Um, so I was I was focused and I was on track to to make staff sergeant at that time. Um, mm-hmm. so I was pushing, but you know, oh five was was my first year in combat. I you know, I, I saw some stuff like like we all did. And you know, but I came back home uh, and and just handled it, you know, internally. <laughs> Like most of us still. Yeah. And- yeah. And then I was uh deployed again in oh seven. This time I was in charge of a unit. Uh a truck. It's called Mad Dog Five. It consisted of myself, Kirkpatrick, and mess. Um, we were in Ramadi. And then we got the order to go into Talusia. It was really, really hot. We were actually attached to the Marines. Mm-hmm. So we knew we were going into it. And uh on April 27, 2007, uh, we were a QRF, Quick Response Force. Um, some military got hit. We went there to sort of clear the area for the helicopter to land. And we did that. And the helicopter took off. And, you know, we had five vehicles. That was a real vehicle. And uh, once we took off on the road and an ID went off, it, it killed my driver, killed my gunner. And I woke up in the U.S. a couple months later
0: yeah and i you know talk a little bit about this, some of the injuries that you sustained from that well
1: uh so i lost i lost my left leg above above the knee i had a traumatic brain injury i was in a coma for a while um uh, you know survivor's skill, ptsd yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah
1: and some facial paralysis so i did two years at walter reed you know learning how to walk and talk and, and sort of figure things out i was still a father you know, mm-hmm. yep. I was 20, 27, 27 years old, which is considered older in the military, believe mm-hmm. it or not. But, um, yeah, I, I just went through it. Um, Wall Street was a great place for amputees, um, but like most of us do, we don't talk about our internal illness. And for me, my biggest injury was being gone. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, I know. That's a, and that's a big one. I like, to, totally understand did you lose your leg right away, or did was there any limb salvage attempt at all?
1: No, no, it was gone. It was yeah. gone. CID went off. Um, I, all I remember, and, and I tell people this all the time, was I remember this huge white guy with big blue eyes just giving me a thumbs up mm-hmm. in a helicopter. And um, that was it. And next thing you know, I woke up, and I was I was looking at my mom, and... And my sister and I was just so confused. And then the doctors rushed in. And then from there, I started learning about my injuries. And then finally, they told me I was the only survivor. And then at that point, I just, I I, I made the leg and every other physical injury I had non-existent. You know, I I just, I went about my business and and, and learned how to walk and talk. And I honestly haven't, I haven't complained once about the leg, you know. Um, but with that being said, you know, I, I did go through, I, I did heal my soul and I went through suicide attempts. I went through substance abuse. I went through so many things because the soul is one of those things you can't heal or put aside. That's just who you are inside and that's always manifesting one way or another.
0: Yeah. It's definitely, you know, our, our bodies are one thing, but our minds and our hearts and our souls are another, right? That's right. Yeah, and and I know with Walter Reed, uh, you get introduced to a lot of adaptive sports. So I'm sure that's how you first got involved and introduced
1: to adaptive sports. I did. I did. Got introduced, but like I said back then, I wasn't. I wasn't interested in anything. I just wanted to get out of the hospital, and I wanted to, to sort of move on with my life. So I did not use sports as a, as a as a getaway, which is why. I fell into so much depression and mm. isolation. And once you isolate and you cut yourself from the world, that's when things really spiral down, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was it. But you know, I, I I got so low that I attempted a suicide. And, and at that point, I woke up. Uh, I I woke up. I was Baker Act, which I was put in the in the hospital for for two or three weeks trying to figure out. And there, I gave my life to God and. And that's when I found the sport of bobsled, and this just started to change my life. So, you weren't ready. Yet. You weren't ready, basically, right?
0: If you're not ready to take it in and absorb it, then yeah, I mean, it's, you're you just not ready. And
1: so, how did you, how in the world did you get introduced to, to bobsled there? So, it was like 2017. I wasn't wearing my leg, it was 10 years after my injury. I was extremely overweight and I needed to get a surgery again to start wearing my leg and sort of get my, myself back into. It. And I went there and I met a lady named Kim Sievers, and she said, Hey, we're starting a program to get veterans to try new sports and stuff. And we have skeleton and bobsledder. And it was me and my friend and we we're like, let's try it. And, um, I did skeleton for a year and I was horribly bad at a very amateur level. Yeah. I was just spilling out of the skeleton. You know, I was just touching every wall down the ice at a very amateur level. Um, because there's three stages to the track, you know, bottom, the middle, and then the yeah. top at the Olympic level. And my coach, God bless her, she was like, Well, why don't you try bobsled? Mm. And I did it. And I got really good at it. And then Team USA was like, "Hey, if you drop weight, you get in shape. You can try out for the team." And this was back in 2019. and mm-hmm. history. Yeah,
0: well, wow, there's a lot of history there that you just skipped over, though, right? Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> You've done a lot of uh, done a lot of good things since you uh, joined that program. So, uh, for those that you know, it's still a new sport, obviously. So, for those that just aren't familiar with with para specifically. Um, where is that sport now? Is it, is it on target or planned to be part of a, you know, a Paralympic games at some point? Where, where does the the sport itself stand?
1: The sport itself is in a really good place to be for the 2026. Mm. Rumored. Mm
0: -hmm. Right. We don't know yet. Right.
1: Yeah. I'm not, I don't know anything. Rumored. Um, but definitely, it's definitely going to be, if not in the next game, still be in the following. For sure, for sure, I mean, we've missed the cutoff by you know, just one nation couldn't make it, and it had to be the same number of nations and and right, you know, and then we had the COVID year, and so we were we, I mean, we're right there, that's why we have a we have a good chance. but then meanwhile, we compete throughout the world every year. we have a a season, yeah, it starts off in October, ends in March. I'm in the middle of my season right now. I just came back from racing in Norway, racing Latvia. uh, And I leave to Empire Games in New York in about two weeks and then go on to France and Switzerland and then finish in World Championships back in Norway. We do that every year. Um, And that's the requirement. We have, I think, 17 nations, you know, and they send their best athletes and we go at it at an incredible at a very Olympic uh, level. The only difference with bus is that we have a mechanism that will push us all exactly at the same rate. So it just comes down to your driving. Yeah. And then all the weight, of course, is regulated, you know. You come in weighing 100 kilos is the max. You have 80, they'll put 20 kilos in your sled. So it just comes down to the pure driving of the bobsled. Also well, so there's a lot of parity there if they even equal well out the weights and everything. Everything is as equal. The, the sleds themselves are regulated by one um, organization. So it's not like U.S. has the best sleds or or Spain has. No. Everybody has the same sleds and they get rotated out by a lottery pick. You know, USA will. You get sled number eight, you know, and so on and so on. So, so all the sleds end up being the same. So it really, it's, it's, I think it's the purest way of the sport because – it just comes down to your driving. You can't out accelerate your next person. You can't outweigh them. You can't out have yeah. equipment. You really have to out drive them. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really competitive, man. These guys all over the world—they're great.
0: And and what uh, you know, obviously, with every uh, Paralympic sport and international sport, there's uh, classification. And so what. Um, what disabilities are allowed right now in para-bobsled in terms of classifications?
1: Yeah, so it's definitely only for seated right now. There is a push category, but it's not at an Olympic level yet. Okay. But so seated, it's, you either have to be in the knee, or double BK or spine. Okay. Anything that will prevent you from pushing and jumping into the sled. Gotcha, yeah. Makes sense. So I have to race with my legs off, you know. So everybody races as in the pure form of their disability.
0: And, um, and is it, so I, I assume it's single. Cause I know sometimes when you see bobsled competitions, there are single athletes, there are two team, two member athlete, two, 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 two member at teams, if you will. So is it just a single, uh, no. athlete going down at, a, at, at one time?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Team USA could send up to four pilots. Um, we race individually, we represent USA as a team, though, but we race individually, so it's just one person, and then you get your world rankings to see where you stand and, and so on
0: and like i said uh we we skipped over that uh that history part, so you've done pretty well in uh that and sled so so maybe share some of the success that you've
1: had, yeah, so uh last year was the first time in in, in pair USA history to get the number one spot in the world and and I I was blessed enough to hold that spot you know I won gold medals um, at World Cup events I think I have four Um, I'm currently this season I'm I'm holding at third place I was sitting in first but we went to Latvia and it was a wicked track was my first time there so you know I I, I slipped to the third spot um but yeah, I won a, I won like four three national championships. Um and yeah, and I, I, I hate bragging about it because I feel like it wasn't me who did it. It was it was all the people that God put around me, from my coaches to 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 the people who got me in shape to to um my mental health doctor. Like we we work as a team. Um because you can't do it individually. You really can't. Um, whether you're an athlete or, or, or anything, as a veteran, like we're used to having people around us. As a soldier, we're used to having people around. We have somebody we report to. We have our friends. and We have people we're we're, we're leading at one one stage or another. So when I finally understood that, and and access allowed God to put all these people around me, that's when I started to win. And the only reason the Pharaoh Bob said that I started and I started with the logo and everything is just, I want my men to be forgotten. Right. So anybody who hears Will's story is gonna hear about Kirkpatrick and some Mess. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I and then when that grew, now it's like anybody who hears Will's story, you're gonna hear about the substance abuse, the depression, the suicide, giving my life to God and where he has put me now. So it, it's growing, it's growing and 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 you know the sport. I'm 44. You know, it's a wicked sport. You know, <laughs> one bad crash could really mess you up. You know, so I'm I'm starting to realize how how blessed I am to be living in this moment right now. But it won't last forever. But the story, I hope does.
0: Yeah, I know for many sports. I'm glad that we talk. You brought that up because I know for many sports, you know, sports is a uh, often a a young person's. Game, if you will, what what do you think uh, your longevity is in the sport? Um, and you know, I mean, I assume you're still hoping that if it
1: makes the uh, the Paralympic level 26, that you hope to be there. Oh, absolutely! You know, I'm I still got a couple good years in me. You know, <laughs> I try to take care of my body as much as I can. Um, but you know, I'm I'm I just feel like if I don't hold this out to the next games, that I'm always going to regret the fact that. I was right there, and I just because yeah. it's mostly fear, right? And 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 especially as a as as a, as a wounded veteran, it's it's anxiety. You know, I gotta travel to these countries, and well, I gotta walk on snow, and what about if the plane leaves me? And there's just so many doubts and fears. You know, but like I said, I I stay mentally, physically, and spiritually. Those are the three things I work on consistently. And it gives me the willpower. And then once I do, once I accomplish it, then you know, I'm like, all right, good job, Will. Because let me tell you, every in the beginning of every year, sir, I'm like, like man, do I really want to do this at 90 miles <laughs> an hour on eyes? Yeah. You know when you get out of bed and you like get up too fast and you're like, oh, right, something hurts? I'm like, man, am I is this my body telling me that, hey, take care of yourself, Will. You know, slow it down, but I feel better when I go through it. You know, I go through the struggle, yeah, and that, there's always those decisions to make, right? Every single day, <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> and um you you said that you've been obviously a national champion how how many athletes what's what's the landscape like in terms of how many athletes are are um competing and participating in parabob sled in the u s. right now
1: in the u s so we have I'm gonna say we have at least anywhere from ten to twelve athletes competing to make their way up to the track at the Olympics, yeah mm-hmm. right? Because you have to get up there to be competing. So our coach has constant camps, right? Um, at our level, maybe six or seven, right, That could any day beat or go? um. The thing is, one of the major reasons that a lot of people don't say this is because there's no funding. So my season will cost me 20000 U.S. does not help with that, right? So I have to go out there and find sponsors on my own, which is the hardest part, obviously, of the sport, Uh, is to find the funding and then being able to go out there and form on a high level. Uh, So yeah, but we're we're actually hoping to grow the sport as much, and once it becomes an Olympic sport, you know we'll we'll definitely get more help and more funding and, and all that stuff but right now being the pioneers of it is mm-hmm. and i'm not a pioneer let me tell you a lot of people have this sport has been going on for the last 15 years right now it's just on a grand t- traction but there's been a lot of people that, that that have that left already but who were real pioneers of the sport
0: yeah i think it we sometimes lose sight of that the 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 history of any adaptive sport and that and how it starts and then how it builds and swells and, and then it reaches the tipping point. But that tipping point can come years later. So yeah. it's always important to honor the pioneers in in, in the in the sport, uh, particularly in adaptive sports. You talked about obviously the focus of pair bobsled is driving and out driving your competitors. What kind of training? do you do to, you know, be in a position where you can help drive your competitor?
1: Uh, so my, I live in Orlando, Florida, right? My season is from October to March. I'll get three runs a day. You know, let's say my, and every run is about a minute. So my whole season could be maybe a hundred minutes. Right <laughs> There it is. That's your whole season. So all the work and all the training I do is, is, is definitely to be physically fit know the track, um, reactions, core. um, But one of the most things that I love to do is I love to get my heart rate up and then do a mental run down the track, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's when your heart rate changes, that's when your whole body changes. You either get physical, tunnel vision, or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and and like I said, once you – you have to do the work before because when you get on the track, it's only a minute. And you're trying to beat the best of the world. I mean, you know, Canada, uh, Great Britain, Switzerland. You know, these guys invented the sport. So they're good. So you, when you get on there, you have to be on your P's and Q's. Not just surviving, but driving well. So it's it's all that. It's all really physical work at home and mental runs. And, and so I ride my motorcycle a little bit sometimes and, and picture it, but... It's, it's hard to mimic that, that thing, you know, it's really hard to mimic it. So you have to do your best you can to, to give yourself any kind of
0: advantage. Yeah, it's true with, with some sports, you obviously are able to mimic it every minute in training, right? But, but you don't, you don't have a track to necessarily go down uh, like, like you do in bobsled, uh, you know, at your house or at
1: a gym or anywhere else. So it's a little different. Uh, game when, when it comes to that doesn't it? <laughs> absolutely and then like i said is this it's not like i can outrun or outpush push my opponent the only advantage i actually get is is being able to react to the track and and find the fastest lines and then the times are so close we talk about hundreds of seconds oh, yeah. right? which is incredible to me yeah and
0: and at a at a competition um do you do you get like a warm up run, and then do you get two or three uh, cracks at it? How do how do they determine essentially like uh, the fastest time? You, I guess it's, a, it's probably the best time or the fastest time out of so many tries.
1: Right. No. So you have three. So let's say you know you get a every slide is different in its own little way. So you get a in slide two. You get three runs a day for three days from the top of the track to sort of get used to the track, learn the track, and then you have to qualify by making two successful runs, Now, because there's a lot of crashing involved, I believe it or not, I do learn the tracks and stuff. So to qualify, you have to have two successful runs from the top and then race day will be two days. Um, and it's a combination of, so race day one would be heat one. Let's say I get a one ten, and then heat two, I get a one. And then they add the times and whoever has the best times wins on that day. That race is over. The next day, we'll have this another race, same track, and then we'll move on to a different track. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. from there, you get points, and those points add up to your World Cup points.
0: Okay, yeah. And um, what, as an athlete and uh, pair of sled, what kind of uh, obviously the the sled uh, uh, is one thing, but um, like, what other equipment do you? What do you wear? What other things do you need as an individual? Uh, athlete to, to participate in this activity or sport.
1: Uh, so you need a helmet. It's mandatory, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the rest is up to you. So, you know, if, if, if you like to, some people go in there with full football gear, right? Protect the body, <laughs> right? Some people go in there, you know, with a t-shirt it depends on where you are in weight. You understand what I'm saying? It also, too, but let's say myself, I'm usually about ten, fifteen kilos under. I like to be comfortable and be able to move around, right? Because I, I, I'm just, I like to be mobile, right? Okay. Um, so I just wear my helmet and a belt, and that's it. Okay. Well, um, yeah, I've seen, I've seen all types of things. <laughs> so there's not a standard then. I, no, as long as you're in uniform, so like, and and you're within weight. Uh-huh and it's safe for you and the track then yeah go ahead it's on you and will
0: outside of sport what other things i know you've got uh you mentioned some kids and family so outside of sport what um what kind of things are occupying your your time
1: i'm a father of of four so the kids Uh is 14 um he's into basketball so i try to I'm just trying to guide him, getting him ready for, for, for life in general, right? And, and I spend a lot of time in church and and I do public speaking. Um, I really want to share this story. and I want people to understand that no matter where you are in life, like you could, you could get out of it. I don't care how low you are And, and what's happening from, like I said, from suicide to substance abuse, to being extremely overweight to 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 everything you possibly think of and 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 just having a little bit of hope and, and feeding that hope with hard work mentally physically and spiritually like, you've got to have those three in order um and and so that's where like I said that's where I'm leading to Bob said it it's given me so much and it's you know and, and if it gives me an opportunity to be on these platforms it's it's going to be my responsibility to share that so that's where I'm leading to. I'm leaning into that and and just try to help other veterans. I've been so blessed, you know. I could have been homeless so easily with all the issues, but you know, I've I've had a lot of help, a lot of people in my corner. And I just feel like you know, sometimes our our other veterans that are suffering from it, if we could just introduce them to some sort of sport, something that empowers them, yes. right? It's not given to them because of their service. It's like here you are. You earned this spot. You earned on this team, and they start to achieve their own goals again. That lights a, a warrior spirit, and man, you know, they could they could thrive, not just survive, could thrive the way they used.
0: It's, it's great messaging for sure.
1: And are you? Um,
0: do you have a website or are there social platforms that people can follow your journey and
1: connect with you? Absolutely, on Instagram is. Uh, at Will bobsled, and then I do have a website. It's uh, Will Castillo USA,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and there you can read my story. You can see my my uh, my read my my soldier stories and who they are, and and my number is there. My email. you can Reach out if if you're in need. If you need to talk, you know, like I said, I'm I'm a suicide survivor. Really mm-hmm. hurry, you know. I don't want anybody to 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 get that low, and if they are that low, I want people to know there's help. And big shout out to Move United with all the stuff that they're doing and getting all these athletes out there playing football and playing all types of things. Now, once you start, like I said, once you like that warrior spirit, a lot of guys could take it from there.
0: So, well, thanks for being a member, and and thanks for joining me today.
1: Absolutely, and thank you so much for allowing me to share my story.